Welcome back to another episode of 101, A Beginner's Guide to Life. Today, we'll be talking about mentalism with Grant Price. Mentalism, as Grant will explain later, is a type of magic that involves reading people instead of tricks with props. Grant has been doing mentalism full-time for years now, and has done shows all over the place and for crowds as large as 10,000 people. For more information on booking Grant for one event, or to buy tickets to one of his shows, visit grantpricemagician.com. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. We are here with Grant. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Hey Grant, how are we doing today? I'm good. I'm just sitting on the third floor of my mansion overlooking... Man, I couldn't I couldn't think of the next thing to make up. I'm doing well. I'm sitting <laughs> in my one story house and, and uh doing well. Good. How's the family? It is good. For those who don't know, I just had a son in April, very beginning of April, and it is they say it changes your life and it certainly does. So it was it, it threw a loop in in uh in our lives for sure. And then he decided he needed brain surgery, so that made things even more crazy. How dare he? But I know, but we're doing really, really well. He's been recovering. Praise God that he's he's looking pretty good, and I've been able to now get back to to my job. Good. I want the record to show that William already told me that he was doing well, and I, was it just my really callous response to hearing that your son had brain surgery? <laughs> yeah. That's good. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I've been keeping Hayden updated. We talked about having you, so but yeah. Awesome. Speaking of getting back to your job, Grant, obviously you have one of the most unique jobs of anyone I've ever met. Hands down. So, you know, you've been doing magic and mentalism for a long time. So you would say primarily you're a mentalist, right? Yes, that's correct. What's the difference between magician and mentalist? So I am technically both, but uh, the difference is a magician is going to be more so the sleight of hand almost always requires some kind of prop, whether that's borrowing something from you or, or if he brings a deck of cards or whatever. And then a mentalist specifically deals with the mind. So, so mind reading is my forte. I, I always say mentalism because people are, are a little leery of the word mind reader. So I always have to explain that I, I know Jesus. I'm not uh, Satan. <laughs> I I don't have any psychic powers. That me- mentalism, when I say mind reading in this in this context, is simply that I have learned to to spot things about you that most people miss or don't or don't pick up on, and therefore I can read your thoughts. So yes, a lot of people think of like body language, face expressions. I always I also clarify in in my shows that. It's, it can be spotting your driver's license number if you pull out your wallet or your birthday. So everything from face expressions and body language all the way to seeing your birthday and your driver's license, th- those are all mentalism because it's spotting things that most people miss. Gotcha. And so have you been a mentalist the whole time of your career or, or when did you start getting into that? No, I, I didn't, I've not always been doing – not always been doing – mentalism i i realized more recently that i kind of always believed in mentalism to a greater degree than it actually is we can maybe come back to that but uh, magic 
is actually kind of what I got my start in. And, and so when I say I'm both a magician and a mentalist, I do sleight of hand and stuff like that every so often. I just enjoy the mentalism more. And that goes back to when I was 16 or so, right, right around there. I actually met a guy who was transitioning from being a magician to mentalism. And I went and watched one of his shows and it just blew my mind. And that was, that was having been a magician for basically my entire life and, and magic and mentalism are cousins. And so it it was just, it was just groundbreaking for me to see somebody do a show and I had no idea what he was doing. That was pretty rare, even at that point in my life, whenever to go see an, a magician or a, or a magical entertainer and not know what was going on. And, and so how long, just so we can have context, how long have you been doing magic? I don't know. <laughs> so that's why I say my whole life. Different people in my family have said different numbers, and it's not like people made a record because they didn't know this is what I was going to do full time. I mean, what what kid doesn't learn a couple tricks? So it wasn't like this monumental thing. So my parents didn't think to write down, oh, this is the day Grant did his first magic trick. But four, four and seven are the numbers that people debate about in my family, four years old and seven years old. And so that's like, what, 20 years, 23 years? Yeah, yeah, 20 to 23 years. Yeah, I'm 27 now, so it depends on which which age you want to pick. And so you saw that show when you were 16, and you pretty much just jumped right into the mentalism as soon as that happened? Yeah, I I actually, the guy kind of tricked me a little bit. Is that not the point? What... <laughs> That's true. The, yeah, he was a, a friend of mine, and, and understandably, he didn't want to just give away every secret he was learning. And so he gave me some stuff, and immediately it, it went to the the like the face expressions and stuff like that. And again, that is part of what I do, but there's so much more than just face expressions that you look for. So he gave me this like book on micro expressions to look into and how to how to read someone's like the twitching of their hand to determine where they'd hidden an object in a room stuff that you don't see a lot of mentalists doing. So I don't know if he was doing it on purpose, but that didn't really give me much help in getting kicked in getting started. So yeah, but at 16 is whenever I, I, I started looking into it. And then within a year or so, I, I found a lot of really good resources to, to learn. And, and yeah, then just kind of went from there. Another, another thing that had a, a, significant draw for me and mentalism was two things one in my shows i don't ever lie now your listeners are gonna have to decide if that's a lie or not but (laughs) uh, no i i don't ever lie in my shows and mentalism was an easier way to do that because i tell people up front kind of the same explanation I, i gave to you guys just a minute ago as far as what mentalism is but the other thing that was really cool about it was that you could, you know, a magic trick is fake in a sense, you know, that you're not, what, what you're witnessing, what, what you're experiencing with your senses is not what's actually going on. And, you, and people know that, right? They know the guy on stage isn't flying or whatever. But if I, if I read your mind, in one sense, it is a trick. But in another, it's not at all because I, I actually, t- it's not an illusion that I told you what your birthday was or what your social security number is or uh, your, <laughs> you know, the name of your best friend, that kind of thing, you know. So I think that was a big draw for me was you needed no props and you could uh, blow somebody's mind, I'd say in many cases, more so than you would with a magic trick, but not, not always. 
I tell you, I have been far more impressed with the stuff that you've done than I ever have anybody else I've ever met for sure. And like 90% of the stuff I see on YouTube and Facebook. So <laughs> I think there's something really unique to like seeing in person and realizing there was no camera work here. I was right there. And it's crazy. Yes, it is. Yeah. Like I say, it's just a unique field. I could go on and on with that, but it has been a, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a really fun journey since again, we'll say 16. And how long have you, would you say you've been doing it professionally? I, there are kind of two different times that I, I would consider when I quote unquote got my start. The, the first was, was around 15 or 16 years old. And, and again, that was obviously, as we already talked about the timeline, some of that was magic and some of that was mentalism. So, but that's whenever I was really serious. I always said that's what I wanted to do full time. But again, what parents take their kids seriously when he's seven and says, this is what I want to do for my job. And, uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, but I'd say 15, 16, I, I had really solidified that that's what I was wanting to do. And then the other time that I consider kind of full time is when it was my, my sole income. So that was in 2014 that, that it was actually just before a year before I graduated college that I, I was, I was booking enough shows that that was all I needed to sustain. Granted that first year I still lived at home slash was a single guy that lived with two other roommates. <laughs> so your expenses are a, little, are a little cheaper that way, but it was a big deal to be able to, to be able to, I, I was incorporated that year, which is just a fancy word for having to pay a little bit less taxes than being a sole proprietor. And, and then I, I, you know, moved out on my own in, in, in 2015. When you said incorporated, I thought it was going to be some sort of magician's alliance kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was yeah, indoctrinated. I <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I passed my, what is it called in, in like jujitsu? Uh, my forms. I did my forms <laughs> for the ma- the magic council and they, they incorporated. Me. I just assumed that like that's pin and teller. That's uh fool us. You go in a private <laughs> yeah. stage yeah. and then have to do some magic for them. <laughs> well, cool. So Grant, would you say that there are magicians both that you know, or even that you, you maybe you don't that have inspired you in, in what you've done? I know you talked about that guy earlier, but but who else? Yeah, yeah, that weasel. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, that guy is definitely worth looking into. He he's a good friend still, and he he's not a name you would have heard of, but it's Devin Henderson. If you're interested in looking at other magicians, you should look at him. He's actually recently transitioned to just comedy. He went from magician to mentalist to comedian, and uh, he he calls himself a, a recovering magician. <laughs> uh, so. But, but he was definitely a big influence and he was definitely someone who gave me a lot of confidence in, in what I was doing and that, and that I was good at what I was doing. I remember seeing, I remember sending him a clip of one of my shows in around 2013, 2012, 2013, somewhere around there. And at the same time was talking about my dad was suggesting doing like a, like shadowing him basically for, for six months or whatever. And I sent him the video and his response was, you don't need my help. Oh, wow. And that, that was like the biggest compliment. Cause at this point I, I like my view toward him was I'm, I'm early in high school and my view toward him was, or excuse me, early in high school, excuse me. I'm, I'm 
uh, middle of college, man. Uh, anyway, middle of college, and I see him like big professional magician. I, I, he, he was pretty honest with me about what his his income was and all that. It's like, man, this guy's made it. He's doing well. And for him to say, "You don't need my help. Just keep doing what you're doing," was a big, big deal. So that's one guy, and then a couple other people. Colin Cloud. A lot of people have seen him on America's Got Talent. And he's he's been he's traveled with the the show called The Illusionists, plural, and he was he was a big influence. Another guy, Luke Germay. It's funny if you go and look at those guys right now. I wouldn't necessarily endorse them. <laughs> no, I'm not knocking them. They're they're incredible performers. But Luke Germay has gone the route. I told you I don't lie in my show. He calls himself a psychic, but he he. He doesn't claim that he has supernatural powers or anything, but he really flirts with that line. And so he was a big influence. He's got some really powerful stuff that he's created. So he was somebody I followed for a while. Colin Cloud is, is also a really great performer, but he's, he go, he's gone kind of a, a different route than I necessarily want to go, which has been both of those guys. It's been really cool because they had significant influence, but then it you really start to realize that you've become your own performer when you're looking at other guys and going, ah, I wouldn't do it like that, you know? So that it's been, it's, it's honestly a good thing to be haha disillusioned <laughs> by some of those, uh. some of those performers. So, and again, that's not that I, I, this isn't just me being nice. They're still phenomenal, but Colin's not, you know, my shows are clean. Colin's shows are not clean. Stuff like that, you know, that are just that are just uh, different than I would do it. I think one thing that really surprised me, Grant. So for those listening, I've known Grant for six or so years, and and you know, one of my really good friends, like one of my my dearest friends. I was really honored to be a groomsman at his wedding, things like that. So I've I've known Grant for a while. Mm-hmm. Walking around with Grant, seeing how welcoming the magic community is, and just how uplifting they are to each other. That's like it doesn't feel like hey, we're competing for for jobs or anything. It's like oh. I would love to give my friend this job or like, I would love to help you uh, do this, you know, learn, learn this thing or sharing information. And it, it's just crazy how that is Grant, Like, wh- what do you think about the magic community and, and how they interact? I hate them <laughs> I was gonna say, feel free to completely contradict William. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. William, I've changed my mind in the last week and I just, <laughs> no, uh, no, the, you're right. The magic community really is very, welcoming i mean just like any industry they can have their their down down excuse me yeah their downsides but overall yes the magic community is incredibly supportive it is a especially the friends i i can only really say this of the friends that i've surrounded myself with there there are so many magicians that i know personally and our mindset is there's plenty of work to Mm -hmm. go around i mean there are you, I mean, I look at the magic community and I, I've got so many magicians that I'm friends with and I see them on Instagram and I feel like, man, the market is just saturated with magicians. But the reality is it really isn't, but it still is not uncommon at all for me to approach someone, either somebody coming to see my show or even just if I'm feeling like going out and just doing magic for somebody in a at a park or, or one of my favorite places in, is in downtown Fort Worth. Just to walk up to people on street on the street, it's not uncommon at all to meet people who say, I've never seen a magician in person before. And so that's a good 
indicator for how much how much work there is to go around as far as I can, you know, I can I can share with other magicians. And that's I wouldn't say that that's every magician out there. But again, this circle of friends that I have, we've we've really been striving to be more open handed with each other to be able to do another aspect, which is probably what you were referring to, William, which is just that we're very open with sharing secrets. Kind of, kind of as as <laughs> as, <laughs> as soon as you are established and and not, I'm not saying professionally. You could be a an amateur magician, meaning that you don't you don't do it for a living. Is all I mean by amateur. You can be an am- amateur magician, and it, it's if if I can tell that you're serious about it and that and that you're 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 guarded with the secrets. You're not going to go and post them on YouTube. I'm I'm usually pretty open with sharing at least certain secrets. Wow, <laughs> it, it, it is certainly a fun thing to to hold some things back, even with close friends. If 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 I have a close friend who sees a trick and says, meaning a magician, and, and he says, "How in the world did you do that?" That's usually a fun thing for us to back and forth keep from each other, just because it's rare that we do something for each other and don't and where we don't know how it's done. Gotcha. So you mentioned that, you know, to you, the market feels saturated, but obviously most people haven't seen a magician, let alone met one personally. What do you, I mean, but I mean, you also said the same thing when you're 16, everyone, you know, everyone's learned a trick or two. Everyone's been interested by it. What do you think is the difference right. between the people that see it and they're interested by it? And they're like, oh, I'm going to be a magician. And you, somebody who's actually, you know, they've done it. You're an adult. You've got a family and you're making, you know, full-time living out of being a magician. What's, what's the distinction? Right. Hmm. Let me think about that, man. I don't know. I, my, my brother and I were just talking about this and, and I wonder if it has less to do with the performer. I mean, I've, I've always been a performer. Like I, I've always, I've always been an entertainer in my family. I was always the goofball and also the most annoying mm-hmm. kid. Those two things usually come hand in hand, but because you always got to you got to try the good material and the bad material. So uh, your family gets uh, all of it. So they don't think you're very good. But I I I honestly am not sure other than just I I think sometimes there's a there is a knack maybe. I don't I don't know if I even have a good answer for this because it's not it's not like you're born being good at mentalism or good at being you know born being good at magic. You you have to practice. But I I think there there is definitely something that that can hook you and that is primarily giving wonder to people. That's not I I guess I think I think that's something that not a lot of people get hooked on with the trick, you know. Like a lot of people like fooling other people and if that's the case it's not going to it's not going to last as far as like if you were going to pursue it for as a, as a career the yeah, like I say, I, I really don't know if I have a great answer to what what's the difference. Well, I think a good question off of that, Grant, though, is what is it about your job that, that you love specifically? Okay, yeah. I so I, I the the thing, and this actually, so maybe this will completely debunk <laughs> everything I just said. What I love doing now is, and the reason I love doing what I do now is very different than when I first started. I think at first I actually had, I think I had kind of a, a joker mentality. If you're good at something, never do it for free. 
I, I think honestly, that was a big part of my approach. Actually, my first website, it actually had that quote from the Joker on the website. And, and, and that, I mean, I think it, it's true. It was true to how I felt about it was, well, I'm, I'm good at it. I might as well charge money for it. And I, you know, and I know that people enjoy it and, and people talk about it. And so it, it really started with that and, and not, not that that was entirely a bad thing. I think oftentimes that's where a lot of entrepreneurs come from is what are you, what are you good at? I think there's other questions to ask, but what, that's one thing. What are you good at? Is it valuable, valuable to people and have people affirmed that you're good at it? Is it sustainable? <laughs> so, you know, I, I might be really great at building straw houses out of, out of or log cabins out of out of sticks. But, you know, if nobody's interested in them, that's going to get me very far. But anyway, the that's transitioned now to really I, I love giving wonder to people. There's actually if COVID ever allows us back into the in-person live entertainment, the something that my wife and I have been hosting for almost two years now is a, as an in or, excuse me, in person. That's such a funny thing that that's become a new term yeah. since COVID because there's now there's a difference between live and in person. <laughs> um, but, but we've been doing a, a show. It's, it's called kind of makes you wonder. And it's in, we do it in, in Fort Worth and it's a, it's a public show. You can buy a ticket and, and come see it. It's, it takes place in a distillery in downtown Fort Worth. And, and that writing that show was a big shift for me as in my, in my performing career, because around the time, about two years ago, I had really been struck with, I wanted to give people more than wow, that's really cool. Or he's, he's really impressive. I wanted, I wanted to give more than that and realized again that I was one loved giving people that sense of wonder that, that oftentimes as adults, especially we lose. I mean, the term childlike wonder exists for a reason. Children are usually pretty good at it. We as adults start to kind of put those things away as if they're childish rather than childlike, uh, which is, those are two very, two very different uh, implications childish versus childlike so a, a big thing is giving wonder and reminding people to wonder in their lives not just in a in a magic show but if i can in a small way remind them to do that with a simple magic trick then i'm definitely going to do that so on the topic of shows this is just a fun question that we probably already mentioned in the intro but it's just it's fun to to ask about What's the biggest show you've ever done? 9,000. I think it was, no, it's That's like right. the fish. It always gets bigger. No, no. The biggest one I've ever done was 12,000. It was in a, in an arena in, it was actually at UCLA. There was a, a company that had booked me for, they, they had to have a big conference and, and they had clients come in from around the world and, and they, and they, yeah, they had 12,000 people there. And out of my own like curiosity, how do you, how does a show for 12,000 people differ than one you do say here in Fort Worth for 30? Yeah. So man, I, you must've been doing your research because the show in Fort Worth is, is 40 people max. We, we intentionally keep it intimate and small. The show for 12,000, the biggest difference is cameras <laughs> <laughs> and projecting it on screen. 
I, I have actually learned that I'm, I really don't love doing the, the show for 12,000 people. I, I will do them. And I think the, I think that the, the shows are fun and I think that the people really enjoy them, but there's, I don't know. There's just something about 12,000. There's, it's a lot harder to connect with the audience. Even, I mean, even, even an, a, a still large number like 2000, there's still a way to connect with 2000 people that, that there isn't with just with 12 there. It's so big. There are, I mean, in this case, I was completely surrounded. I was in the round for this show in, in California and it was just a, it was just a different. I think the other thing too, for some reason, the larger the audience, the more skeptical usually people are that, that we always, you know, I always clarify nothing set up. I haven't met anybody beforehand or anything like that. And, Yet I feel like there's still a there's still this skepticism like, okay, that clearly they set that up. That's impossible, which I mean, I guess is a great compliment to to, if they think (laughs) it had to have been set up. That's the only explanation. But it's yeah, it's just different. It's really cool for kind of for chops to be able to say I've performed for 12,000 people. But I definitely love doing the. I think my sweet spot is 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 three to four hundred or less. I do like uh, shows with larger audiences, but but three to four hundred or or less. I mean, I I love doing it for two people, but yeah, it, it's three four hundred just is, is kind of a sweet spot. I don't know. I, I get about eight people involved in the course of an hour. That's uh, another thing I I really try to do is make the show about the audience and and really get them involved and and obviously i'm i'm the mind reader but i want it to be more about the subject on stage whenever i'm i'm doing some kind of mind reading for them so i don't know for some reason the ratio of eight to twelve or excuse me eight to three hundred people versus the ratio of eight to twelve thousand people is i just feel like i'm not getting to meet the audience as a whole uh, as much or get like a, a, a representation of the audience if that makes sense yeah, definitely. Grant, would you say that there's a, a favorite show that sticks out in your mind that you're like, that was one of my favorite shows I've ever done, either because of how you performed or because of the audience? Hmm, let's see. There definitely are. There are certain shows that that just I can't even I can't even tell you where this show was i'd love to give you an answer like yes i can remember like it was yesterday i remember every detail this place this this client whatever but it's it's more general the ones that i can think of or the ones that really stick out are the ones where just the audience is is really going with you i'm i'm pretty good at at improvising humor so there's a lot of comedy in the show some jokes are in every show, but I try to mix it up to where the audience, the jokes are different and, and the audience knows this is the only time that we're, we're going to, that, that anyone's heard this joke or this, you know, or, or whatever. That That's kind of my desire. And so it's, it's really the, the beginning, the beginning five minutes, 10 minutes or so. I'm just trying to get a feel of what, what style of humor this audience as a whole appreciates. And there are just certain shows where every joke just nails and every trick just blows them away. And I think those are my favorite shows. Like I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify the, 
you know, the, the show based on the audience size or, or, well, it's some venues. There, there's a place, this is random, but there's a place in Burleson, Texas. It's called Venue 510. And it is awesome. It's one of the coolest places I've ever gotten to perform. So as far as venue, that that would be it. I've gotten to perform there a couple times, and 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 they've just had a lot of really. It, it was it was a big deal for me because because I'm not I'm not a big name. They they've had a lot of a lot of really big names come through there, so it was it was pretty cool to be performing on that same stage. All right, Grant. You know it's the time where everyone who's been listening has been waiting for. We talked about, you know, your, your experience as a mentalist and magician. They want to know, maybe, if you can do a trick over the podcast. Is that possible? <laughs> I can do a trick over the podcast. Okay. He's, ver- so, he's very confident. Let's do this for... I'm going to do this for Hayden. I was going to say, we don't know each other quite as well. I was going to suggest it. Right, right. We, so, to confirm for everybody, we have met before. Yes. But we we don't know each other. You you didn't know I was going to pick you. You didn't know this is not set up. I and and by the way, the check is in the mail. Uh, <laughs> what I told you to do ahead of time. No, so here, Hayden, are you are you, are you sitting down? I am. <gasps> it starts. I, I'm not. I'm not asking. <laughs> I know. I know. No, I'm not asking that because you're going to be so amazed that you want to be sitting. I. It, it's going to be easiest. Are you are you near or at a table or a desk or something? I've got something I could use as one. Okay, I, I'm Basically, buried in my closet, actually. But okay, <laughs> I so if you can grab three objects nearby, just any three, and you'll want to put them in a row in front of you, just left to right, left to right. Mm-hmm. Order doesn't matter. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay, tell me what you got. Okay, a tube of chapstick, a roll of athletic tape, and a pint glass that is almost out of water. I'm sure it's water. I, okay, great. And I knew that. So, what's the next question? <laughs> okay. So, so what I want you to do, I'm assuming just, just, just psychologically that most likely what you have is the the chapstick and then the tape and then the pint glass in that order. Is that right? Yes. That's not, that's not the first trick. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> you know, that, it makes sense that you'd tell me in order of what they are. So, mm-hmm. I don't want to know the order. So, go ahead and, and mix them up. And again, still you want them in a clear left to right, but move them around. You can do whatever you want at this point. I couldn't know if you put them back in the exact same order they were in or a different one. So just tell me when you've got them satisfactorily mixed. Okay. Okay. So with these three objects, I we're, you've mixed them up. I'm going to have you mix them a little bit further. We're going to move each object once. So just follow these instructions. Pretty, pretty straightforward. So we'll start with the chapstick. Go ahead and move the chapstick switch it for whatever is on its right now if it's on the far right obviously it can't go any further so you can just leave it there okay okay go ahead and take the pint glass and swap it for whatever is on its left okay okay and then lastly the last one we haven't moved is the athletic tape so go ahead and move the athletic tape switch it for whatever's on its right okay okay so now at this point, just to, just to recap, basically all, all that we've done is you've put them in some order and then you've, I just had you move each one one time, move it over. So at this point, I shouldn't know which one is where. Go ahead and uh, pick up the object on the far left. 
All right. Okay. Don't tell me what it is. Just focus on that. And we're going to we're going to do a simple lie detection game. Now, ordinarily doing this trick, I would be able to see you and, and be able to read more tells than just your tone of voice. Uh, but we'll try it as as with with the circumstances we have. So <laughs> that object, uh, I want you to place it into one of your hands. Doesn't matter which one. And then you're going to assume a role. You're going to play a character. In, in just a moment, you're gonna you're gonna be either a superhero or a villain. Don't tell me which one, which one you've chosen. Okay, but you have chosen one. Yes. Okay. So, if you are thinking of a superhero, I- I'm gonna ask you one question, and you're gonna answer that question with the truth. If you're thinking, if if you chose to be a superhero. When, if you're thinking of a villain, when I ask you this question, I want you to answer with a lie. So the question, don't answer it yet, but the question is, do you have the object in your right hand? Okay, don't answer yet. I'm just telling you that ahead of time so that you can be prepared with your answer. If you're thinking of a superhero, you're going to tell the truth. If you're thinking of a villain, you're going to lie. Okay? Okay. All right, so you can go ahead and answer it. Do you have the object in your right hand? No. Okay. Now, that was a lot of explanation that kind of gave me the upper hand. So we'll do this. You can switch hands if you want to. Don't tell me if you do or don't, but you have the option to switch hands. Okay. And then this time, I'll, I'll, I'll ask a different question. Same deal. If you thought of a superhero a minute ago, think, tell me the truth. If you thought of it a villain, then lie. Okay. The question this time is simply, did you switch hands? Yes. Okay, so, say, okay, say yes one more time. Yes. Okay. So, Hayden, I can tell you two things about yourself. One, <laughs> that you are a terrible liar, which is why you generally tell the truth. And two, that you have the pint glass in your right hand. Very true. There Man. I honestly, yeah. I don't care if anyone listening to the podcast believes that's real because I know for a fact that that actually all just happened. I'm not even in the room with either of them. And I'm like, I just know I, I've, I've seen Grant do tricks many times. And every time I'm like, he'll blow this one and it never does. <laughs> so, and, and Grant, I don't know if it was the very first time we met, but it was definitely one of the very first times we met. I was actually out drinking on Northgate and college station yeah. and, uh, <laughs> I wasn't necessarily drunk, but I definitely had a few drinks and you showed some, you did some of your tricks for me and uh, William and I's good friend, Colin, and uh, another one of our friends, Nathan, and all of us just, you know, sat there in sheer wonder (laughs) as you, and I imagine the crowd is probably a little bit easier the more they've had to drink, but we were all (laughs) very impressed. (laughs) Thanks, man. I, I appreciate that. I do remember that. That was a good, that was a good time. Okay, Grant. So here's the other thing we gotta ask. Is there a trick you can walk us through how to do for people listening? Yes, I actually have two that I can teach your audience and we'll see how this goes. So the the one the only things that I can teach are are one things that obviously aren't aren't major things, major secrets that I use in my show. I'm sorry. But I I, I think that these will be fun and 
and they're really a really fun way to kind of get your feet wet with mentalism. Uh, another reason I can't teach major secrets is because it takes years and years of, of working at it. And I don't want to give a secret that your audience will be disappointed because they'll be like, well, I'll never be able to do that one because I have to do that for yeah. 10 years. <laughs> so the the first one, it, it, so they're, they're both psychologically based. So the first one is is basically uh, two, it's, it's two sort of lie detection tricks, kind of like I just did for Hayden. So the, the way that you will do this is you, you will be asking your, your volunteer to, to, to try and trip you up. So this one is kind of cool. You actually need two people. And what you do is ask them to take an object. I usually hand them my ring or something like that. I hand it to one of them. I turn my back and I say that, that, that person, whoever I've handed it to, we'll, we'll give them names for, for this first simplicity of explanation. So let's say it's, it's Joe and Susie. So I, I hand Susie the ring and I, I turn my back and tell her she can either give it to Joe or keep it for herself, not to tell me which one that she's chosen. And then you, you ask them, basically I, I break up what Hayden just did into two different roles. So I tell one of them that, they're, uh, that, that one of them needs to be a liar and the other one is going to be a truth teller. So you basically have to make sure that they both are, are different things. One is liar, one is truth teller, but not to tell you which one. So typically, so that they don't have to whisper and I accidentally hear them, I tell them with my back turned that they can show each other either thumbs up or thumbs down. So thumbs down means they're going to be the liar. Thumbs up means that they're going to be the truth teller. Once they've decided that and decided who holds the ring, you can turn around and ask them, a single question, single question is, do you have the ring? You ask it to both of them and, and, and they will answer. Just a, a fun little thing to know, it, if they both answer correctly, meaning that the liar lies and the truth teller tells the truth, they will both answer the same. No matter, what the, no matter who has it, no matter what happens, they will both answer the same. So it'll, it'll either be both of them say yes or both of them say no. If they have both have different answers, then somebody got it. Somebody messed up and you have to start over, if that makes sense. And we'll get to that in a second. But so the, the, the trick is you simply ask, do you have the ring to both of them? And then you can immediately tell them who has it. So the way that this is done is not 100% but it's, you'll get it 85 to 90% of the time. Basically, a lot of people think you're looking for some kind of tell, like that they smile or that they, they twitch or they, their nose itches or something like that. Those things are not very reliable tells. Uh, you can, your nose can be itchy when you're lying, yes, but your nose can also be itchy when you're nervous. And you could be nervous if you're the one who's lying or if you're the one who's telling the truth and you just have the ring. So basically you will the the secret to it is and and this is i just find this fascinating it it shows that human beings are are ingrained with a conscience you are playing on the fact that lying makes us first of all makes us uncomfortable but is also kind of intriguing because it's because it's taboo if you will so all you are looking for you're not reading the tell on the person who has the ring or who is lying you're reading the tell on the person who who tells the truth when the liar speaks 
the way that that tell usually comes out is that the truth teller will look at the person who's lying when they lie. That's it. It's, it's really, really interesting that 85 to 90% of the time, the way you'll know who is lying and who's telling the truth and who has the ring is that the truth teller will look at the liar when they answer. So does that make sense at this point? I've got a little more to explain on it, but does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it, yeah, again, it's just an interesting study in that, <laughs> that even though the person, they know what the liar is going to say, it's still this like, oh, can I, you know, there's even this intrigue of like, oh, can I read them whenever they answer? Can I tell they're lying whenever, whenever they answer? So basically you're actually looking at the other person when you ask, when, when you're asking one. So when you ask Joe, do you have the ring? You're actually watching Susie. And when you ask Susie, do you have the ring? You're actually watching Joe. You want to be subtle about it, but that's the, that's the technique. So, so that is the, the first one. And then the other, the other thing that's important to note on it is just kind of a, a fun little psychological piece is you can have them bring both hands out, but each of them bring both hands out, both fists out. And you will, you, you, you say a clever little word gymnastic. <laughs> you say we, one of, you know, there are four hands here, which means that we need to eliminate three. So let's say that, that, so you kind of have to, there's a lot of different outcomes that this can be. So in this case, let's say Susie looks at Joe and Joe says, yes, I have the ring. Who has the ring? Susie. Right. Cause Joe is the liar. And so he said, yes, which means that he doesn't. So yeah. So Susie has it. So in this case, Susie has the ring. So you, they have all four hands out in front of them and you say, you say, okay, so we have four hands here. We need to eliminate three. You tap one of Susie's hands, asking her to open it. And there are one of two things can happen here, obviously. One is that she turns it over and that's the hand that contains the ring. The other, obviously, is that she turns it over and that hand is empty. You need to be have a little bit of, a little bit of acting, a little bit of showmanship to... It as so- be prepared as soon as you see an empty hand, you immediately go and touch one of Joe's hands, which you know is empty. And then you touch one more of Joe's hands, which is empty. And then you'd say, which leaves, we've eliminated three, which leaves that one. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it. So it basically makes it look <laughs> like you knew all along, no matter which outcome you get. You either get it on the very first try or you show that you were selecting all the empty, empty hands. Right. And you could even say something like that. You could say, we got to eliminate three and then boom, touch that one. And this one's empty touching Joe's hand. And this one's empty touching Joe's hand, you know, before he even, even opens it, makes it clearer to the audience that you already know that. So that is, that is a secret I can give. I thought there was going to be more of like a labyrinth. One of us always lies. One of us tells the truth sort of riddle things to it. I didn't realize (laughs) it was actually reading a person. Right. Which which I like better, obviously, like, that's what I was, you know, as you were doing mine, too, I was like, oh, you know, this is some sort of a statistical thing. And maybe for mine it was, but the fact that you've got one that isn't all of a sudden tells me, like, well, even statisticians are going to look at you and go, oh. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay, cool. So this trick is very similar to what I did for you, Hayden. It, it, in this case, though, it only involves one object. And I typically 
use just something that's lying around it, something that can fit in the palm of somebody's hand. It could be a coin or, or, or a ring or whatever. So you will hand this object to them and the, the object is to, is to guess which hand they have it in. Now I will, I will give a disclaimer on this one. This does work about 90% of the time. That, that is probably a familiar theme. Yeah, disclaimer on this, is it works about 90% of the time, but you will be amazed what, I mean, 90% of the time is a lot. That's, that's really good odds. And if you were to, if you were just going again, you know, with the odds, it'd be 50-50 because they're going to put it in one hand and you get to guess which hand. So you don't have them bring their hands out in front of them for the first phase. There, there are a few phases. So the first phase, you hand the object to them. So they'll have the object in their hand. Bring, their, bring both fists out, and you, you warn them, hey, make sure that both your hands look similar, you know, try not to have one clearly, clearly, you know, open larger than the other one, because that'll give it away. So bring your hands out, and you kind of just reach over and grab their wrists and move their hands apart from each other just slightly, and say, oh, oh th- those are too close together, these need to be further apart. So what you're watching for in this case is one hand to be one arm to be stiffer than the other. The, the, the majority of people will place the object in their non-dominant hand. The, the majority of adults will put it in their non-dominant hand. So that's a good piece of psychology to know, but that's not a guarantee. So that, that's why you're doing kind of the, the, a secondary check, which is uh, checking to see which arm is stiffer. It's not going to be extreme, but you'll know a difference. And if you're not sure, the first one you thought was stiffer, then go with that one. So at that point, you can just tell them, you know, okay, I think it's in your right hand or whatever. But the nice thing is, if you ask them which hand they they favor and they agree. So let's say they say they're right-handed and you felt like their left hand was stiffer, you're almost guaranteed to have it right in that case just because you've got two two statistics that are working with you so what the arm is stiffer and they're that most adults do they're non-dominant if that makes sense so that's that's the first phase the second is you ask them to do the same thing now they're expecting you to grab their hands again and you're not going to so you you know they, they switch back and forth they bring their hands out in front of them and then this next one, which you won't believe it, but try this on the next person you see. And again, 90% of the time, it'll be right. So what you're looking for is called the nose principle. Most, most human beings, if you don't know about the principle, will literally point to the, the hand that contains the coin with their nose. Not kidding. Hmm. <laughs> so again, next time, next time you get a chance, just say, "Hey, hey, put this in one of your hands." I'm gonna try and guess which one. They put them out in front of them. You, you, you'll, you'll be amazed how often it works. So, and and the other thing is, if their nose is straight down the middle, there's still something you can do, which is to kind of get them to relax for a second. So try and try and get them to laugh or whatever. Don't. Don't move to the left or right because obviously they're going to look at you. So that'll, that'll be uh, a false indicator. But if you can get them to just for a second kind of chuckle or, or whatever, a couple of things that I do to, to try and get that response is I'll, 
I'll kind of suddenly reach for their hands, not actually touch their hands, but suddenly reach for their hands. Cause I usually say, I'm not going to touch your wrist this time. And even like reach out and like, just kidding and reach <laughs> forward. And even though that's not like, ha ha funny, it usually gets a chuckle and makes them let it, it causes them to let their guard down a little bit. So that's the, that's the other one that, that is, is pretty surefire. So the, the, the stiff arm basically, and then, and then the nose. And then there's one more, I will say this one's a little bit less. I have, I have a little bit less success with this one, but you, you kind of have, you basically have to get a baseline on the person if it is basically one one thumb will be on the front of their fist versus on the bottom of their fist as they hold their hands out if if we had video that would maybe make more sense but there's not a there's not a commonality that most people have their thumb in this position for the guilty hand it's it it's different to the person but if you can get a read on it say on the first two phases that you the arm is stiff, take note of where their thumbs are and, and where the thumb was for the hand that had the, the object. And then same thing for the second one. And usually the third time, it'll be the same same kind of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Okay. So yeah, so those are some some more psychological side of, of things, but I'm not going to get into uh, how to break into somebody's house and find their social security card before the show. <laughs> so... If that's your listeners. Are That'll be the follow-up episode. Yeah, yeah, that's Watch right. <laughs> uh, he, you think Grant's kidding? Grant actually is a great lock picker. That's that's another funny fact about him. <laughs> but I've never used it to get information on people. We need to clarify that. <laughs> of course, that would be giving away your secret. Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, Grant, kind of the the question we ask everyone as we as we wrap podcast is: if our listeners hear how cool your job is and how how cool what you can do is, and they just want to start uh, practicing magic or mentalism. How would you recommend they start doing that? How would I recommend people steal my job? <laughs> um, hey, someone recently told me there's see. plenty of work to go around in the magic world. Yeah. Well, he was lying. I don't know who told you that. But yeah, he, he was probably trying to ruin business for me, actually. So, no, yeah, I, I'll be honest. That is an, is an answer that, I have given I've given multiple answers to that in the past. I do think there's a way. So basically reach out to me, I'll send you a misleading trail on facial cues and, <laughs> and send you on rabbit trails. Now I will I would say actually if, if somebody's really interested, the very best way would be to, to contact me. So they can do that. They could do that through my website. Or, or through my email. So my, the website's just magiciangrantprice.com or to send it to my email address is just grant at magiciangrantprice.com. I, I'll give a, a little bit more of an answer than that, but the, there are resources. The, the way that I started was library books. I, and that, that was in magic, but again, they're cousins. If, if, you're, if, you're, looking, if you're looking for tricks to do you know sleight of hand tricks there are going to be some mentalism you know some mentalism tricks in a in a magic book and some really good ways is you know if you see a mentalism idea you can oftentimes magic books are collaborative so it's it's not written by one author and so it'll be you know this trick by david blaine and and this trick by penn and teller or whatever 
and, and a really great resource is, is the library. There's a, a pretty old saying in magic that a lot of people think, well, library books, they're not going to have good tricks. False. The, the, the old saying in magic is if you want to, if you have a really good secret that you don't want anybody to know, publish it <laughs> because nobody will, nobody digs that far into or reads that far into magic books. And especially now, I mean, that, that was a saying when we didn't know, when we didn't have the same technology that we had. When today, people actually went where, to libraries. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not, it was, it was before the age of social media and probably the internet. And even still people weren't, you know, weren't digging that deeply, but the, so a lot of those things, the, some of the really good tricks are actually in the older magic books. And yeah, a lot of those will, a lot of those will have, again, it's collaborative. So if you find a, a trick specifically in mentalism that you really like, you can look at the author of that trick and Google search their name. You can find more books by them or, or whatever. But again, that's, that's kind of some vague answers. So, and then the other thing at that point, when you start learning, when you find some, maybe some people or someone that you're inspired by, then start practicing. Magic is a lot like a musical instrument. So once you start, what, what I've always said is once you learn the chords, you can write a song. So you'll find yourself naturally kind of coming up with your own tricks after you do it for a little bit. And then, and then, like, if this is somebody who's who's really serious, like, you want to do this for a living, the the thing at the very beginning is just to perform at every opportunity that you can. So sometimes that means free events. Sometimes that means going out to, as I said, one of my favorite things is go to downtown Fort Worth and just and just walk up to strangers. It's a it's a great way to to learn how to how to read people, not in the sense of like mentalism, but just how to how to approach situations like that, you know, introducing yourself to complete strangers and just every opportunity that you get to perform is, is going to sharpen you. You can, you can do a lot of performing and asking people what their thoughts are. And that is definitely valuable, but I have never seen anything more valuable than just putting time in to do it. I think it's Malcolm Gladwell who talks about the 10,000 hours that, that for any to be a, a master of any trade is 10,000 hours. And I don't know, I, I, I guess I've probably done 10,000 hours in the course of my lifetime. But yeah, I mean, there's just nothing like doing, doing it over and over and over and practicing, you know, whether it's reading somebody or if it's a sleight of hand move or whatever, those things are, those things are just going to come with time and, and determination to, to practice. I'd say the best ways to is to reach out to me. I'd, I'd be happy to point somebody in the wrong direction. <laughs> I thought you didn't lie. I, I was just very truthful. <laughs> yeah, that's there you go. In all, in all seriousness, I, I would be happy to give some good resources. I won't mislead you. I'll give you some good info. All right, Grant. Well, thanks so much for being on here with us. This is a super interesting subject. Obviously, you know, you've made a living out of making people wonder. So I'm sure plenty of people will be interested at the end of this episode. How many of them choose to try to take it on as a career is another question. But and as someone who's seen him in person, obviously, a lot of our listeners are here in Fort Worth or DFW, rather, where William and I live. Uh, Strongly recommend you go see one of Grant's shows whenever he is allowed to do them live again. You will not be disappointed. So if listeners are interested right now, we are doing virtual shows. Uh, So actually on my website, if you go to my website and click on the live link in the menu there are uh ticket there, there are times and dates it's actually next week so it'll be 
for the 18th and the 19th, we have some some shows that we're going to be doing. It's a live virtual event. We do it via Zoom, so I can see people. It's it's really interactive and, and it's a ton of fun. So people are going a little stir crazy in their houses and want want to do something besides binge watch Netflix and interact with some real people for an hour. That's a, a really great way to do that. That's right. So magiciangrantprice.com. That'll be linked in the description below if you don't want to actually type a full URL for the first time in eight years. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Grant. Really uh, love always getting to catch up with you, but uh, getting to hear hear your story and how you've, you've made it to where you are. Man, my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, any suggestions for future episodes, or would like to be an expert on our show, please email us at 101guide to life at gmail.com or send us a voice recording through Anchor.